is there. And so we're drawing out of the text each week, verse by verse, through Malachi. We've been, di- been there, and we're wrapping up today uh, in our study of Malachi. And next week, what we'll do is, and I think it's fitting since it's Thanksgiving week, is we will look back over the course of our study and reflect on all that we've learned and give thanks uh, in response to that. But today we're finishing up Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Let me read these and then we'll uh, look at these verses here. Verse 1, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them with, ne- with neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will return, or he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This word this morning, this text this morning is so thick and meaty with information, historical uh, but also application and relevance for our lives. And uh, sometimes when teaching the Bible, it's difficult uh, because there's actually sometimes more that is left unsaid than uh, can actually be said, and that's the case today. There's so much that we could go into and study today, but we're not going to be able to look at that. So I'll just say that at the beginning so that maybe you could look further and study further. There's a lot of references here to some things that we'll talk about and highlight, but may not get Uh, as in-depth into this morning. Just as a recap and a reminder, Malachi has been addressing Israel. Uh, He's one of the minor prophets. He's the last of the minor prophets, and many scholars lump all of the minor prophets together into what they think really is one book of 12 books, and their message is consistent. Judgment is coming. Therefore, repent and return to the Lord. Return to him. That's the message of the minor prophets. It's really the message of all of the prophets, but that's been the message of the minor prophets, and now it's the message of Malachi, and he's addressing Israel, and he has been, and we've looked through this study, because they have raised their fists to God, and they've cried foul. They have looked around them at their own oppression, their own circumstances, their their, uh, the situation that they found themselves in, They're looking at the evildoers and the arrogant, and they're seeing them, what they think is prosper, while they suffer. And they are saying, God, what gives? This is not fair. I was sharing, I was, uh, I got a phone call two weeks ago on a Sunday night after I left the service. I got a call from a friend, and um, he called, and uh, I picked up the phone, and he's just bawling his eyeballs out on the phone. He's crying. I said, what's going on? What, what's, what's wrong? And he said, she said, she's leaving me. And I said, man, I'm so sorry. Where are you? Let's get together. Let's talk. And so we got together and we started talking. And his wife had just let him know that she's leaving him, that she's out. Why? And he, she didn't give me a reason. She just said she's leaving. And he is wrestling with and reeling over 
I've done everything. I've tried to be faithful. I've tried to be true. I've tried to give her everything. I've tried to do everything that I'm supposed to do according to God's word. I've tried to be faithful and obedient in his words. It's just not fair. She just, she's just leaving. She's just bailing. She's just, she's just out the door, and she doesn't care. There's no reason, rhyme or reason or anything, and, and she's just gone. It's just not fair. I've done what I'm supposed to do. And his words, while we may not articulate it as clearly as he, he did, we say those very things. We've looked at that throughout the study of Malachi, and that's exactly what Israel is doing. God, look at all that we've done for you. We've been faithful. We've walked. We've done. We've said. We've sacrificed. We've gone. And yet, life is not turning out like we thought it should. This is not what we signed up for. And so within Israel, there's a group that begins to accuse God. They begin to lift their fist and lift their voice, and they accuse him. And we, we looked at the text, and it, in the language there, they, they really are committing treason. They're saying, God, God is not worth our worship. God is not worthy. And they begin to lead others into this false thinking. And in Malachi chapter 3, we see this transition, and he begins to distinguish between these two groups. In chapter 2, verse 17, they say that God condones evil, that the arrogant and the evil are, are getting away with murder, and they, they can do whatever they want. They seem to prosper, so God clearly condones evil. God clearly endorses what they're doing. And you get down in chapter 3, and we see that they've gone a step further. They're saying that God in, endorses evil and condones evil, and therefore we do as well. Therefore, we can just live how we want to. It doesn't matter. And he begins to distinguish between these two groups. And, and we looked in the, over the last two weeks between these two groups. And in chapter 3, verse 13 to 15, there's a group of God accusers. They do not esteem God's name. In fact, they, they demean his name. In verses 16 to 18, there's a group of God-fearers. They, it says in the text, esteem God's name. They re revere, respect, honor, worship God, despite their circumstances. In fact, in spite of their circumstances. Even though their circumstances preach a, a totally different message to them, that God doesn't care. Their, their circumstances preach that God has left them, that God has forsaken them. Even though that's their circumstances, they, like Habakkuk, we, we look in Habakkuk, though the mountains fall into the sea, yet will I worship the Lord. There's a group of God-fears. And so we see these two different groups, and they have two different characteristics. And now what we see in our text today is not only do they have two different characteristics, they actually have two different destinies. And that's what we're going to see this morning, that the day of the Lord is coming, that it will result in two different destinies, one for the God-fearers and one for the God-accusers, and therefore it ought to cause all of us to pause and to reflect and to ask the question, which group am I in? And to then remember God's faithfulness, the covenant God who entered into a relationship with us, who will never leave us nor forsake us, and to repent and to return to covenant faithfulness with obedience and worship. And then today what we're going to do is wrap up by looking at all of this in light of the gospel. How does the New Testament inform our understanding of this text? What, what do we learn as a result of that? So let's look through this uh, here this morning. The day of the Lord is coming. In verse 1 of Malachi chapter 4, it says, For behold, 
The day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evildoers will, will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. So God's accusers have accused him of endorsing and condoning the arrogant and the evildoers. And they're saying they get away with murder, they can do anything that they want to do. God's accusers have, have blamed him and have said, look, there's no distinction between evil and righteousness, and, 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 and they can get away with whatever. And here in this text, and, and starting in Malachi 3.13, and all the way down to now, what we see is this is absolutely not true. That there is actually a day coming where a distinction will be made between these two different groups. This is absolutely not true, what they've accused him of, and that's what 4.1 begins to tell us. Though they may temporarily benefit from his gracious withholding and restraint of justice, they may temporarily benefit, it will not be the case forever. He will not restrain his justice and his judgment forever. There is a day coming. And in fact, that's the message of the prophets over and over again. The, the Lord of hosts warns that the day is coming. And, and what's interesting is as we look in Malachi uh, and in chapter 4, really, beginning in 3 and down into 4, this phrase, the day of the Lord, is used 16 times in the Old Testament and it's referenced five times in the book of Malachi, four times in these last few verses here. The day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord is coming. 16 times in the Old Testament, five of those are in Malachi, four are in our last verses here, and here's what we see. In Malachi, we learn that the day is coming, chapter 4, verse 1 says that. We, we see that when the Lord, uh, when it comes, the Lord is coming on that day. Verse 5 will we'll share and show us that. And then verses 1 and 3, on that day, he will come in decisive victory over his enemies. And then back up in 3.17 we see, and on that day his treasured ones will be called out and they will be rescued. It says there that they will be spared like a father spares his son. There is a relational component to, to God the Father. He will rescue his children on that day. And so this is the message of Malachi as we come to the conclusion that there is a day coming it, it, and the Lord is coming on that day. He will come in decisive victory over his enemies and his treasured ones will be called out and rescued. In fact, the message of the prophets say this over and over again. And when we back up all the way to chapter 3, verse 2, it, it talks about the day of the Lord coming. And on that day, the question is asked, who can stand? And the answer and the implication is no one. No one can stand. No one can stand in light of the holy white-hot wrath of God. No one except one. His name is Jesus. And only he can stand in the face of that furnace. The Lord, the day of the Lord that's coming, that's burning like an oven. You know, we get a glimpse of this in Daniel. We're familiar with the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're, they're not going to bow down and worship Nebuchadnezzar or his golden god. They're going to worship God no matter the circumstances. And on that day, Nebuchadnezzar gets fiery angry, so fiery angry, he fuels up the furnace and it burns seven times hotter, and he calls his men to go throw them into the fire. And as they're throwing them into the fire, what happens to the men? They die in the process, the, the, the soldiers that are throwing them in the fire. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fall into the fire. They're with their clothes, their hat, all of everything. And then Nebuchadnezzar jumps up and he shouts and he can't believe it. Didn't we throw three people into the fire? But I see four. And they're not even touched by the flames. They're not scorched by the flames. Who was the fourth person? Many scholars point to the angel of the Lord. Angel of the Lord in the Old Testament often pointing to figuring Jesus coming. And what does that picture in, the, in Daniel? That there is one who can withstand the white-hot furnace of the holiness of God. And only he can be our hope. Only he can rescue us. Only he can be our rescue and our salvation. And if he is our hope, and if he is our trust, then we, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, will be spared. We will be covered by his protection. So this idea of the day of the Lord is coming as fire is not new. In fact, this is how the prophets talk all throughout the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter uh, 66 verse 15 says, For behold, the Lord will come in fire, and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger and fury, and his rebuke with flames of fire. Joel, Isaiah, Zephaniah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they all reference the Lord coming and his his coming, the day of the Lord coming, coming in fire, burning like an oven, fiery, hot, anger, and wrath. Now, we don't like that imagery. We don't like to see this idea of a God who is angry. We don't like to hear sermons of fire and brimstone. We don't like to talk about God and his wrath. But friends, brothers and sisters, if we don't have that dark backdrop then the beauty of the gospel does not sparkle we have to have his holiness and we have to talk about his holiness because against that dark backdrop against his wrath against his judgment and the day of the lord that's coming is this beautiful amazing startling sparkling good news of the gospel that there is one who will rescue. There is one who will come. There is one who will redeem. There is one who is our Savior. And that's the good news of the gospel. And that's what makes it good news. If you don't talk about His holiness, and we don't talk about the day of the Lord, and we don't talk about judgment, then the good news loses its luster. It loses its sparkle. And so this is what the Malachi is talking about. This is what the, the, the Old Testament writers talk about regularly. This is what the prophets talk about, and the minor prophets in particular. They are presenting this dark backdrop drop of judgment. And here's what's beautiful about this passage, is that Malachi says, the day of the Lord is coming, and there, there will be judgment, and those who do not repent and do not return, and those that do not submit, and those that continue to raise their fist in rebellion, and those that continue to lift their weapons against God, and those that continue to accuse Him, and those that continue to not fear Him, they will face final and ultimate judgment. But there's good news. Because, as Malachi will say, one day there is one who is coming, God's righteousness that will rise like the morning sun. 
And that's beautiful news, and we'll see that here in this text. So there is a day that's coming. Malachi does not hide it. He's been talking about it repeatedly. He emphasizes it heavily here at the end of his message. And remember the context. We can't lose context. Joe celebrated context earlier. It's so true. Can't lose context. Remember the message over and over again. He's been rebuking Israel for walking away from him and walking away from the covenant. The covenant meaning the promise or the marriage that they've entered into as a people. They've, he's been rebuking them repeatedly throughout. And this is what he's trying to say is that the end final judgment of you continuing to walk away from me will be utter destruction. Therefore, return and repent. Therefore, return and come home. So that's what he gets to here in this ver- verse uh, first verse and the, the second verse as well, is that it results in two distinct destinies. This day that's coming will reveal two distinct groups of people and will result in two distinct destinies. Malachi chapter 4 verse 1 and the latter half here. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Again, not to be super repetitive, but there's two groups that are, that are being distinguished here. And the first group is represented in chapter thir- 3, verse 13 to 18, and we're seeing their final outcome here in, f- in verse 1 of chapter 4. This first group are those that have, acu- have accused God. They've spoken harshly against God, the, words, the, the, the verses say. They've spoken against him. They've accused him. They despise his name. And then there's a second group who fear God and esteem his name. And the Lord of hosts is making a distinction about their final destiny. So let's talk about the, the God accusers for just a second and their final outcome according to this text. According to this text, on them will come final, ultimate, total ruin. This means that, that for Israel, who is despairing of all of those around them that are accusing them, oppressing them, and, and crushing them, that this will not be how it ends. This will not be forever. That there is hope. That the evil ones will be crushed. The arrogant will be crushed. And in fact, it says that they, all the arrogant and all the evil will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze. This word stubble can also mean chaff. And it's the dry husk that is found on the the weed or the grain or whatever is being harvested, it's the dry husk that, that falls off, actually, because it's withered and dried, and it's not the, the thing that anybody wants. And sometimes on the threshing room floor, they would go through, and they would, they would put it into a basket, and they would throw it into the air, and the husk, the chaff, or the stubble that's dry and worthless would be blown away into the wind, and it would fall to the ground, while what is desirable falls back into the basket and is kept. Now, what they used to do would be to then sweep up the stubble or the chaff, and they would throw that into the fire, and it would be destroyed forever. And this is what Malachi is saying. But he goes further. It's not just that they will be like stubble and burnt up and set ablaze. In fact, they will be left with, the text says, no root or branch. And that's vivid language. That's vivid Old Testament language, and it means something, and and Malachi's audience would have heard it. This doesn't mean that they will just be burnt up. It means there will be no memory of them. There will be no future. There will be no 
no posterity, no children, no inheritance. And so if you look through verses like uh, Job chapter 18, verses 16 to 21, or Amos chapter 2, verse 9, it talks about those who will be cut off forever from the land without memory or descendants. Job 18 says this, His roots dry up beneath, and his branches wither above. His memory perishes from the earth, and he has no name in the street. He is thrust from the light into darkness and driven out of the world. He has no posterity or progeny among his people, and no survivor where he used to live. They of the west are appalled at his day, and horror seizes them of the east. Surely such are the dwellings of the unrighteous. Such is the place of him who knows not God. So in other words, those who reject God have no future. Those who abandon him, rebel against him, lift their fists and their weapons against him have no future. The, the branches will dry up. The roots will dry up. They will be no more. There will be no future for them. Now this same root branch illustration analogy is used in the positive in the Old Testament as well, in places like 2 Kings 19.30, or Psalm 80, verse 10, or Isaiah 37, verse 31. In all three of those cases, it's talking about those who obey God, who walk under His teaching and authority, who submit to Him, who trust Him, who look to Him, who fear Him. Those will see branch bloom and blossom. Those will see roots driven deep they will be blessed in other words there will be prosperity or blessing as a result of submission to him and obedience to him so the point that malachi is making is that there will be a day where the arrogant and the evildoer will be consumed where the arrogant and the evildoer will be no more where there will be utter and complete and total destruction now, let's bring in a little un new understanding from the New Testament, New Testament teaching. We understand from the New Testament, Revelation chapter 20 and, and other places in Matthew chapter 25 and Matthew chapter 3, that there will be a day of distinction between the wheat and the chaff, right? Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 3, that he comes with a winnowing fork in his hand, that he will make a distinction. Matthew chapter 25 makes the same point in the same distinction there will be a distinction between those that fear the lord trust in jesus and those that don't fear the lord and don't trust in jesus and revelation chapter 20 also makes this same distinction and it says that there will be a day of judgment where everyone will face a day of judgment those that believe and those that don't those that believe it says will be res face a day of judgment and resurrected unto righteousness or unto worship or unto heaven or unto relationship with God those that do not believe will be will face a day of judgment and be resurrected unto eternal punishment what's important for us to understand is that the New Testament and Old Testament don't contradict one another there's not a teaching of annihilationism in the in the New Testament or the Old Testament where where those that are evil and and arrogant will just be annihilated forever what the teaching is is that they will face the opposite of eternal relationship with God. That is eternal knowledge of separation from Him. That's the worst that someone could ever experience. Annihilation would be grace. 
annihilation, complete eradication totally would be actually grace. But what they will experience is the eternal knowledge of their walking away, of their rebellion against God. That's devastating. And Malachi is emphasizing that there will be a day where their, their posterity will be cut off, where they will be set ablaze, they will be burned up. And this is not good news. This is not meant to be encouraging. This is meant to be startling. It's meant to shock us. It's meant to shock them. It's meant to wake them up from their stupor. Because if they persist in sin, this will be the reality for them. If they persist in rebellion, this will be the reality for them. But there's good news. There is hope. He's calling them home. There is, he's not crushed them yet. He's not destroyed them forever Yet, there is a chance still to repent and to come home. And that leads us to this second group and the good news for them. Those who fear the Lord, the God-fearers. The God-fearers will experience something radically different in terms of their final destiny. Malachi 4.2 says that the second group will experience something far different from the scorching heat of the furnace. What does it say? But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord. There is so much symbolism and so much meat in that one verse. So much history and so much actually prophecy in this one verse. So first, they will experience God's righteousness rising upon them like the bright morning star. We're, we're told that in that will come healing, joy, and victory. So let's look at these four things here. The rising righteousness of God that will appear one day, that will just manifest one day, the rising righteousness of God, and in it will be healing, joy, and and victory. So first, the coming day of the Lord will result in the righteousness of God being fully revealed. Psalm 37, Isaiah 58, 8, both communicate similar concepts that on this day in the future, there will be a sudden appearing like the bright shining sun, like the noonday sun, like the rising of dawn, of the sun of the, at dawn, where God's righteousness will be made apparent, will be clear. There is a day coming when God's righteousness will rise like the sun, and it will be unmistakable. It will not be missed. And on that day, when the Lord's righteousness appears, it will bring with it healing in its wings. Healing in its wings. The Hebrew word can be translated as peace or healing, but it's comprehensive. It's it's complete healing. Sometimes in the Hebrew we talk about shalom. Shalom is the complete reweaving of something that's been ripped and torn apart. What are we talking about? On that day when, when God's righteousness, the Lord's righteousness appears, there will be complete reweaving, shalom, complete comprehensive peace and healing in His righteousness. It's the opposite of what the arrogant and evildoers will experience. It's the complete opposite 
of complete destruction and, and comprehensive destruction. They will experience wholeness, whole peace, whole shalom, whole healing. And then thirdly, God's righteousness will result in exceedingly great joy. This is awesome. I love this phrase here. They will go out leaping like calves. You will go out leaping like calves from the stall. The text can literally be translated, you will playfully paw the ground. Imagine young calves. I know it's hard for us to imagine because none of us have cows or calves or anything like that. Imagine having a farm. Imagine a harsh, cold, stark winter where your young calves have to be put up in the barn or put up in the stall for months at a time. You guys know what this is like if you have young kids, right? You have to keep them in the house during bad weather. And you go stir crazy, right? And so imagine on that first beautiful spring day when the sun rises and warmth is in the air and the snow has melted and you can let the kids out or the calves out. And what do they do? They run out and they're leaping for joy because we don't have to be stuck in the, cat in the, in the barn or in the house any longer, right? There's joy at this day. That's what's going to happen. There is exceeding or exuberant joy is what the language uh, is carrying there. And then finally, when God's righteousness appears, evil will be undone. It says here, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. This idea here is the complete reversal of all that is evil all that is broken. So there's going to be on the day that the Lord's righteousness appears, a complete reweaving of all that's been ripped apart and torn, and there's also going to be a complete reversal. All that is arrogant and evil will be crushed and put under, and all that is righteous and holy will be lifted up and exalted. There's a complete reversal of things. That which is evil will be crushed under your feet will be trampled under your feet does it sound familiar to anything in a promise that was made in genesis chapter 3 verse 15 that one day that a woman will have a child and that child though he will be wounded will crush the enemy under his foot do you see this amazing prophecy that's here it's it's like hey here this is going to happen in genesis chapter 3 verse 15 and here in malachi is like remember that it's coming that day of victory that day when all things will be reversed in the lord of the rings samwise gamgee's acts gamgee asks is everything sad when at the end is everything sad going to come true or untrue at the end is everything sad going to come untrue in the end and the answer according to the scriptures, is yes. All of those who fear the Lord will experience this great reversal where all that is evil will be crushed under and all that is holy and righteous and will be elevated and exalted and lifted up. So this leads us to ask some very important questions. We've already kind of hinted at it and already ta- talked a little bit about it. It begs the question, which group are you in? Which group are you in? Are you in the God accusers? Are you in the one that does not esteem his name, does not fear his name? Are you in the one that, that 
ignores him, that brings him half-hearted worship, that, that ignores him as the holy and infinite Lord of hosts? Or are you one of the God-fearers who esteem his name, who recognize him as infinite and holy and good and great and gracious? Which group are you in? This begs us to ask this question, this text does. Another question that it begs to ask is, and this is what they should have been asking, is am I prepared for this day? Am I prepared for this day? They should have been asking that question, and that's why Malachi brings it up to their attention. Are you prepared? Have you repented of your sins? Have you submitted to God as king and ruler over all things, including your life? For us through the New Testament, have we submitted to Jesus as Savior, or are we continuing down the road of attempting to be our own functional saviors? This text forces us to ask these questions. Another question it forces us to ask, and this is a hard one for us, is do you actually believe there will be a final day of judgment? Is this how you live your life in light of a final day of judgment? You say, what do you mean, Neil? Are you crushed in despair by tragedy, adversity, and the circumstances of life? If you are, then you are not fully conscious or aware that this is not all there will be. Now, I'm not saying that we don't hurt when we face tragedy. I'm not saying we don't hurt like when my friend called me on Sunday night two weeks ago. I'm not saying that we don't hurt when tragedy strikes us. I'm saying, are we crushed in despair? If we're crushed in despair, then we don't recognize that this world is not all there is. The way that we're living is not all there is. There is a future hope when God will restore and right all things. That gives us hope. And then the, another question this text begs us to ask is, what is your hope on that day? What will you present before God? Will you say, God, look at all that I've done for you. Look, I I tended Mars Hill all those years. Look, I lifted my hands when Joe told me to lift my hands. Look, look, I read my Bible all those times. Look, I did all these things. Look how much I gave. Look how much I sacrificed. Look how much I did. Will that be what you present, or will your hope be in something greater? Will your hope be in the only one that can shield you from the white-hot furnace of the wrath of God, Jesus? Will you say, I, I, I despair of myself, I despair of my own abilities, I, I, I can't bring you anything, only Jesus can satisfy your wrath. He is my hope, He is my rescue, He is my redeemer. Thanks be to God, thank you God that you sent Him on my behalf. He, I lay claim to Him, He is my righteousness, as John Bunyan said. What is your hope on that day? According to the text, what we've looked at already, only those marked by relationship to God, only those marked by repentance, only those marked by fear of the Lord, only those who esteem his name will be spared, and they will be spared like a father spares his son. He will come to the rescue gladly. That's good news. That's great news. That is cause for celebration. That is cause for adoration. That's cause for worship. That's cause for response. I live in light of that now, not to gain that, but because 
He has offered that to me, and in response to that, therefore, and that's what leads us next to our, our third point here, the therefore we have to remember and return. In light of that, if we're part of the group that is continuing to accuse and walk away and rebel, if we're in, in part of that group, in light of that, then we must repent and we must return. And in light of this text, if we are part of the God-fearers, those that recognize and worship and celebrate Him, then we must continue to live a life of repentance, but we do that, according to the text, by remembering His commands, by remembering His covenant, by remembering the relationship we entered into with Him and returning. And that's where he goes next here in this text. So as he ends... Uh, as he ends the book, like a good writer and like a good teacher, he ends with the two primary points that he's been trying to address the entire book on display. The Lord's covenant. The Lord's covenant has been one of the primary points that he's talking about. And then the Lord's coming day of judgment. These are the two things that Malachi has been emphasizing throughout. These are the two things that the prophets have been emphasizing throughout. That, that God entered into a covenant with Israel. That God entered into a relationship with him, with, with Israel. And that we must walk in obedience to that. There is a day coming, and those that are not walking in covenant faithfulness and walking in obedience and walking in that relationship must repent and must return. This is the, the two thrusts that he's been talking about, and that's what we get in these last few verses. And again, they're, they're packed full of, of meaning and, and significance. And he gives us in verse 4 and in, in verse 5 and 6, First, he gives a look back to remember the covenant, and then he gives us a look forward to remember the day that's coming. And so that's what we need to look at here as we look at this, these final verses. First, he gives us a look back. In Malachi 4.4, it says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. So the imperative in Malachi 4.4 is to remember. Remember, when we, Jack mentioned this last week, but just as a reiteration, when you remember something, it means to do something. When you remember his covenants or you remember his ordinances, you remember his teachings, it means to walk in light of those things. That's certainly part of what's being said here, but it also means to not forget. Don't lose sight of the relationship that the Lord of hosts entered into with Israel. Don't lose sight, don't lose perspective, which is exactly what this group of Israelites has done that's been accusing him. Don't lose sight, don't lose perspective on this great and amazing, gracious, loving, benevolent God who entered into a relationship with his people, who established them out of Nothing. So there's certainly an emphasis on doing the law, walking in obedience, but the primary emphasis is on remembering the covenant relationship that God entered into with his people. You said, Neil, well, how, what, I, I hear it, I mean, I see it, remember <laughs> the law of my servant Moses, but what else is, is saying, making that emphasis so clear to you? This mountain, this reference. This mountain is Mount Horeb. Now, Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai can be used interchangeable for that moment, that time where God entered into a relationship with Israel and gave the Ten Commandments. We're familiar with Sinai and the Ten Commandments. But Mount Horeb is used interchangeable to reference that same occasion. But what Malachi is likely doing 
is referencing something, a time in Israel's history. He's probably alluding to Deuteronomy chapter 4 and 5. In Deuteronomy chapter 4 and 5, no less than 18 times does it say, remember lest you forget. Remember the covenant lest you forget. Remember the covenant lest you forget. And Mount Horeb is the mountain that's referenced repeatedly in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and 5. So what's being said here is to remember the covenant, remember the relationship, do not forget the relationship that God established with you, that that God entered into with you. Do not forget it, don't forsake it. Continue to walk in light of it. Do you recognize, do you stand in awe of the fact that the God of the universe established a relationship with you and me? Does that bring humility to your life? Or is it just another part of your day? Hmm. Yeah, God did. God's in a relationship with me. No big deal. The Lord of hosts. Remember the name that we've emphasized over and over again, that Malachi's emphasized over and over again? The infinite king over the universe decided to create Israel out of nothing. Why? Because of grace. Why? Because of sending his redeemer through Israel in order that the nations might be blessed, that you and I might be invited in. This is a good news. We ought to be doing backflips this morning. Yeah, and you guys are like half asleep on me. Come on. I can't do a backflip. I'm old. I sprained my ankle yesterday playing racquetball. I can't believe I did this. My wife has no compassion on me either for it. So this is amazing good news, and this is the call to remember, and this is why Malachi emphasizes it. He's emphasizing the greatness of God and the grace of God. Don't forget it. Don't forsake it. Don't walk away. Stay true to it. Dwell on it. Meditate on it. Day and night. Remember, lest you forget. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 4 and 5, the reason that this reminder is given 18 times in Deuteronomy 4 and 5 is, remember what they're about to do? They're about to walk into the land of promise. They're about to walk into this land of prosperity. And how easy is it to forget in prosperity all that God has done for us? It's so easy to forget the Red Sea. It's so easy to forget Exodus out of Egypt. When we walk into prosperity and we have everything, we don't need Him anymore. And that's the reminder of Deuteronomy 4 and 5. And that's the reminder of Malachi chapter 4. What are you about to walk into? Something greater than the promised land. You're about to walk into the day of the coming king. Do not forget all that I've done for you. Do not forget the fact that he's standing, he's coming, is because of my grace. Do not forget. So that's a look backwards, but he also gives us a look forward with this other character. So he emphasizes Moses. Now he emphasizes Elijah. Verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So not only is there a backwards look, there's also this forward look. Now remember, when we looked at Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, there was a promise of a messenger to come before the messenger of the covenant. And when we looked at Malachi 3, 1, we, we talked about an emissary or a messenger that precedes the king is a gracious offering 
to clean up your city, to clean up your act. In other words, when you send the emissary, the messenger before the king, there was always a call to clean up. Come, the king is coming. Clean up, clean the streets, straighten the roads, clean up the trash out of the gutters. Repent is the message. And that's the message here. In Malachi chapter 3, 1, there's a messenger coming. In Malachi chapter 4, 5, there's still a messenger coming. The king has not yet arrived. What does that imply? There is still time. There's still hope. There's still a chance. Do you see how gracious God is? It's dripping from the pages. They've offered him mangled roadkill as worship, and he didn't smite them. (laughs) He should have destroyed them. Instead, he says, repent and come home while there's still time. And here, behold, I send you Elijah, the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Now, what's interesting, and we have to ask the question, why Elijah? Why is he referencing Elijah? Remember Elijah. Elijah was a prophet to a rebellious people. Remember, Elijah had a mountain that he went up on to meet with God. Do you know what mountain that was? Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb connects both of these. Look back and look forward. And what did Elijah do on that mountain? He went up on that mountain and he was scared, he was terrified, but he was retreating to that mountain. And God asked him twice, Elijah, what are you doing here? And what is Elijah's answer? Your people have forsaken the covenant. And he pridefully says, and I'm the only one that cares. And God says, then go and call them back to the covenant. What is Elijah's role? To go to a rebellious people to call them back to the covenant. Now, we know and we understand, looking back through the New Testament, that the New Testament writers said that this Elijah-like figure is John the Baptist. And what was John's role? His role was to prepare the way for the king, to call people to repent, to preach a message that announced judgment is coming, the king is coming, clean up your towns, clean up your streets, repent and come home, because this judgment is coming and there will not be grace forever. And what's interesting is when we look through the New Testament, there's several verses we could look at. You could look at uh, Luke 1, 17, uh, and, and we're told there that uh, John, uh, talking about before he's born, an angel of the Lord appears and says that he will come in before the Messiah in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. The angel of the Lord is saying this about John the Baptist, saying, hey, you know that promise of an Elijah-like figure coming in the future? John's going to be him. John is he. And then we could look at Matthew chapter 17. We could look at Matthew chapter 11. The disciples begin to ask Jesus, well, why did Elijah have to come before the king, the Messiah? Why did that have to happen? And Jesus responds, and he says, Elijah comes to restore or to call people to repentance. And then they say, well, who's Elijah? 
And Jesus says, if you have ears to hear or eyes to see, John is Elijah. In other words, John was the one calling them to repentance. I'm the king, and I'm in your midst. The judge is here. But guess what Jesus does not do? He does not crush on the spot. Why? Because there's still an offer of grace on the table. There's still an opportunity for people to repent. John's role was an emissary before the king to prepare the people, to awaken them from their stupor, to lead them to repent and to return before the king comes. And we've said it, we looked at it, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, Jesus comes and he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. If there's a kingdom, there has to be a king. In other words, Jesus is saying, the king is here. And what's his first word? Repent. If we've rebelled against the king, the king should come and, o- and, and crush us. That's this message of repentance. But then he adds a second phrase after that, and believe the good news of the gospel. That there is hope, that I came to restore, that I I came to bring healing. And that's where we get to this this final, resolving the text in the gospel. So what? You've given us a lot of great information, a lot of great history here. There's a lot of information here. Thank you so much, Neil. So what? (laughs) So what? Despite the last words here, it says, And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This Elijah-like figure is going to come to restore and come to call people home, and there's going to be a great repentance and a great restoration that's going to happen. And when John comes, that's exactly what begins to happen. People repent, people return. This is what restoration, father to children, and children of father is all about, restoration and repentance that's coming. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. In other words, there will be judgment there is still time to repent. But despite that last word, which, which is depressing and, and scary, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction, Malachi ends with an unbelievable note of grace. We've been emphasizing it all along. Think about this message contextually to the people. What are their circumstances? Their circumstances are oppression, crushing oppression. They are facing unbelievable adversity and trials, yet they are told to remain faithful, remember the covenant, persist in obedience. Why? Healing is coming. Remember their context. The people of Israel have been walking through dark and dreary days, and yet there is a day coming where the sun of righteousness will rise and you will leap like calves there will be exuberant joy god has not forsaken you though your circumstances preach a different message remember instead of god's instead god's righteousness is rising on those who fear and esteem his name and they will soon leap like joy and lastly remember their context the god-fearing people of israel have been oppressed by arrogant evildoers yet here they're told to hold true to the covenant Because victory is near. All that is wrong will be righted. All that is evil will be righted and restored. This is a remarkable, hope-filled message to the God-fearers in the book of Malachi. They look around them, they see the circumstances that they stand in, and they find themselves in these situations, and they say, 
all hope is lost. And Malachi says, no, it's not. The sun of righteousness is rising. The healing is on the way. God has not forsaken you. Victory is near. But there's also good news for us today, and I hope that we don't miss this. It's dripping from the pages and dripping from the verses. We, too, experience the same everyday realities that this group of Israelites experience. The same crushing pain, the same crushing despair. We, we experience spouses abandoning us. We experience cancer. We experience death. We experience loss. But all hope is not lost. There is one who has come. You know what's interesting is in Malachi it says that the son of righteousness, S-U-N, son of righteousness will appear. In other words, the righteousness of God will appear like the noonday sun. It will be made manifest. When we get to Romans, Paul says that Jesus is the righteousness of God manifest, made known. In other words, Jesus, when he appeared, he appeared like the noonday sun. He is the righteousness of God. He is the righteousness of God. And guess what? If he is the righteousness of God, then in his wings there is healing. Under his arms is the banner of victory. And in him will be the infinite great joy of conquering our greater evil, sin and death. You know what, here's another place we don't have time to go, but Matthew chapter 9, actually Mark chapter 9, sorry, Matthew chapter 9, there's a story of a woman who was bleeding for 12 years, and she came and she clawed through all the people, they were pressing around Jesus, and it says that she reached out and she grabbed the hem of his garment, the corner of his garment. Why? Because in the healing, in his wings, she knew there was healing. And what does it say? Power went out from him. He knew something happened. He turned. Who touched me? And it, she was healed. And, she, and he says to her, because of your great faith, go and be healed spiritually, not just physically. What's going on there? The same language. It's the kanaf. It's the corner of the garment. The same language where he, that, that she grasped and found healing is the same language that Malachi is using. In Jesus' wings is healing. He is the one with healing in his wings. He is God's righteousness. He is God's our joy. Malachi says that in his that his righteousness will lead to exuberant joy. He is our joy. And lastly, Malachi says our enemies will be reduced to ashes to be tread under our feet. We know that Jesus came to liberate us from a greater enemy than our physical enemies around us. He came to liberate us from sin. And so therefore, he is our hope. Now, what's interesting is that Jesus' coming inaugurates the final coming. It initiates, it starts the final coming. When Jesus came, there was no great burning, gnashing of teeth that's talked about here in Malachi. So what's going on here? I thought Malachi says that in, there's going to be a day of judgment, and before him is going to come this Elijah-like figure, and when he comes, there's going to be this great, massive, blazing fire and flame and judgment stuff what's where's that at what happened when jesus came he inaugurated the judgment because why there's a second day when he will come when he will return and on that day all those who are in christ will experience total and complete and final healing revelation 21 
4. And on that day, those in Christ will experience unprecedented, unending joy and pleasures forevermore. Psalm 1611. And on that day, those in Christ will experience final and total and complete victory over the greater enemies of sin and death. He will restore all things. So, as we end, let's ask these questions. Can you provide for yourself that kind of security? Can you provide for yourself that kind of hope? Can you provide for yourself that kind of protection? Can you provide for yourself that kind of joy? Can you provide for yourself that kind of soul-deep healing? You know the answer to that. No. But there is one who can. And his name is Jesus. And thanks be to God that he sent him to die on our behalf. So will you remember and return? Will you repent and come home? Do you know Jesus as your Savior, as your healing, as your hope, as your joy, as your Savior? If not, today's the day of salvation. Today's the day of the opportunity. And there are people around you that want to tell you about him and celebrate him. I, Joe, others, people in, in our midst, our elders would love to talk to you about that if you don't know him. Let's pray. Father, there's so much in this text. We didn't even scratch the surface. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would illuminate your word. I pray that you have and you will. I pray that you would take us and this week as we celebrate Thanksgiving and we're thankful for, for all the many blessings that we have, I pray that we would not forget the ultimate blessing that we have, and that is a Savior. That we would not forget what you did for us on the cross. And why did you do it? You did it in grace. You did it in love. So we could be reconciled to you. Jesus, you are our hope. You are our covering. Lord, thank you for this word this morning, for this challenge this morning. May we remember and may we return. May we not take it for granted. May we not blow it off. May we, may we live in light of the second coming when all things will be restored. May we not be crushed in despair despite our circumstances but live in hope because we know there is a day when you will right all things. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.